My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Donald Trump now faces 78 charges across three criminal cases, but he's still the frontrunner to become his party's nominee for next year's presidential election. That's an actual sentence in the real world we know today in 2023. The three cases, of course, relate to the hush money he seems to have paid a porn star before the 2016 election, the January 6th riot, mishandling of classified documents after he left the White House, and they are all strong cases. But has anything really changed in the last four weeks since we spoke to you? I haven't even mentioned the fact that Trump has been ordered to pay $5 million after being found liable for sexual abuse and defamation against the writer E. Jean Carroll. Despite all of that, his lead over other candidates increases with each and every poll. Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post is still in her sun hat after a four-week break (laughs) reflecting on all of this. She is here, as always, to make sense of the latest developments from across the pond. And later on in the episode, we'll talk about the United States Embassy here in Dublin issuing a security alert for American travellers following a horrific attack on a US visitor, more trouble for Hunter Biden, and the kidnapping of a US nurse and her child in Haiti. First, Marion, absolutely brilliant to have you back. It is wonderful to be back. And I'm laughing because you sort of made it sound like I'm sitting here in a deck chair with a pina colada, which I <laughs> wish. But you know what? It has been a good break. And I hope everyone out there has had a great break as well. And in a way, it hasn't been a break news-wise because the news has just kept on coming the whole mm. way through July and now August. No let up at all. So here we are. Thank God we got a breather and I'm yeah. ready to go again. And it's terrific to be back and, and welcome back to all the gang out there as well. Yeah. And thank you all for the lovely messages wishing us well with the break. This latest indictment, though, it alleges that he conspired to defraud the United States by preventing Congress certifying Biden as president. And all I could think, Mary, when I was reading this was, shouldn't we eat our dinner one course at a time. Why are the Jack Smiths and the Fanny Willises of this world insisting on serving starter main course dessert, coffee and nightcap at the same time? Well, you know, I disagree with you there, Jarlis, because I think if you look at the, you know, I, I think that we have to, there is a real tendency and I totally understand it because all of these offences and civil actions and criminal actions, alleged offences, stem from Donald Trump's political career, with the exception of the E. Jean Carroll case. So we tend to see these as political cases. They're not. They're legal cases. They they follow on the heels of legal investigations, 
criminal investigations that took place on foot of allegations and very strong evidence that Donald Trump had done something seriously wrong on, as you said, 78 occasions. Now, so this is not, it's, it's not the job of prosecutors to, to um, stick with the political calendar and to keep an eye on 2024. I would argue they have no business looking at the political calendar because Trump has deliberately, and he's been very successful in doing so, in conflating all of these legal actions with politics and saying, these aren't legal, I did nothing wrong, this is just to try and stop me running. Nothing could be further from the truth. These have been really deliberate, thorough criminal investigations, and the chips have to fall where they may. Now, I also think that if you look at it, okay, the E. Jean Carroll case, which was a civil action, uh, that happened earlier in the summer. We then had the indictment from the New York DA from Alvin Bragg, which came down, was that March? God, I'm losing track. Mm -hmm. And then we had, of course, the Jack Smith, the Miami case, and the, the classified documents case, which I was down in Miami for that in June. And now we have this one, um, what, two months, about, you know, six weeks or give or take uh, later. And I think this is because Jack Smith, I think, is a prosecutor to his fingertips. He doesn't want to play political games. And he's saying, right, we're ready to go now. And I think likewise with Fannie Willis. Now, it's interesting to me because to me, this case in Georgia, which hasn't, no indictment has come down yet, but it's likely to come, and she's hinted very strongly, it will come before the 1st of September. This is the one where, A, you have a smoking gun. You have Donald Trump on the phone to the Georgia Secretary of State, Raff Rosenberger, Raffensberger, I beg your pardon, basically telling him, find me 11,780 votes, which will be one more than what Joe Biden had won the state by. And basically, if you don't, you, it, this won't go well for you. I could charge you with criminal offenses. So he's ordering him to break the law and then threatening him with, you know, in, intimidation and coercion if he doesn't break the law at Trump's bidding. And we have that conversation on tape. Now, again, it's also a state tape. Now, this is mentioned very, very clearly and referenced by Jack Smith in his 45-page indictment, which I would say, whether you're a law student or a law professor or whether you're somebody who's just sitting out in your back garden um, enjoying the sun or the rain, if you're in Ireland at the moment, it is worth reading. It's clarity and it's cogency and the way it just sets everything out. It is a minor legal sort of masterclass in, for anyone in how to understand, how to write an indictment and how to make the jury understand it. Because I think a lot of time lawyers write indictments for judges or other lawyers. This is written for a jury and it is a really powerful indictment. So I would say that it's not, it's Trump's activity that has dictated this legal calendar. Um, and the fact that it does coincide with a political calendar of such importance it is really neither here nor there and, and nor should be. Well, I guess the reason why I asked the question about eating everything at once is around fatigue and around feeding this idea that they're out to get me. This is just more proof of how much they can't have me as the man in the hot seat. And, you know, to that extent, it is playing into his hands. But then he's the king of spin. He's the king of finding the narrative that makes him look like a legend at the center of it all. I just don't know what's changed, though, Marion. I wanted to ask you this after four weeks of actual rest and 
my own fatigue levels were pretty high in relation to this stuff in the sense of what's it all for? Nothing's going to happen. This is just going to play out and he'll delay, delay. We know the, the tactics. We both agreed that doesn't look like you'd ever really do time. Has that changed? Yeah. And again, I would just stress, Charlotte, that we may have fatigue. I have fatigue. I, I, I understand everyone out there having fatigue, but this isn't being done for our entertainment. You know what I mean? Yeah. This, this isn't being done. This is the law taking its course. This is due yeah. process. And somebody else said that to me um, yesterday. I said, you know what? If you want legal entertainment, watch Law & Order. This, yeah, this is not for our entertainment. This is the law taking its course and showing very clearly that a former president and a former president who very clearly wants to be president again is not above the law and that his actions have legal consequences. Now, that is the lawyer in me. That's my dry, yeah. boring legal yeah. hat. Okay? And I apologize yeah, for it. I, I don't think you need to apologize at all. I don't think you need to apologize at all. But I, when I talk about fatigue, I'm not saying, can they not make the TV show more entertaining? I'm saying that what this president, this is what I've been saying, right? 2024 isn't a presidential election to the wider world. My understanding of what 2024 is, is a referendum on whether Americans are stupid. Because if you elect this man again, with all of this in front of you, well, you're removing all doubt that the majority of voting Americans under this system are dumb because this is a criminal that you're putting in charge who has no respect for democracy. Now, is that too blunt? No, um, and I would say again, with the caveat, although we did kind of see it unfold on live TV, uh, talk about the revolution being televised, um, we did, you know, with the caveat that he is innocent until proven guilty. And, you know, that, that is such a tokenism on my part. I just feel that, you know, I'm being such a goody two-shoes today. I'm a legal <laughs> no, goody two-shoes. I, I'm a silly, um, Billy, funny man. I can say whatever I want. Nobody takes me seriously. You, want, okay. <laughs> you can't say um, that. <laughs> but I, I do think that this case is different because everything you said there is exactly true. But there's one other thing that a sitting president single-handedly tried to topple American democracy. He single-handedly tried to turn to, to affect a coup and to turn America into an autocracy, into a Putin-type oligarchy, into a, a Viktor Orban along those lines. And that the worrying thing to me is not that Americans are stupid, but that they saw that, they know that, and they are still willing to go along with it. To yeah. me, what's really alarming is how little they value democracy, how, how little they seem mm. to value it. That, and, and that is or what I find. How little they believe yeah. what their eyes show them. Yeah. Like there's a distrust yeah. in what they saw. Now, this, this indictment that's come up this week, the one that's in the news right now, Maybe you can help us with, if we can come back sure. to what's what's happening in this moment. Conspiracy to defraud, conspiracy to obstruct, conspiracy against the rights and conspiracy to have a conspiracy to obstruct the right of another person to obstruct. It, it's a, yeah. it, it's a <laughs> mesh of every type of obstructive conspiracy possible. Can you make sense of what we're looking oh, yeah. at this I week and why it's different from the last one? 
okay, this is different, as I say, because, you know, the classified documents is appalling. Absolutely. But this one is, it goes to the heart of America's democracy. This is a guy who knowingly was willing to burn the house down just so that he could have his victories, just so he wouldn't look like a loser. So what Jack Smith has done, and again, it's really smart. And I think we did predict this before we went on our holidays. He did not go after him for the January 6th riots, which, of course, we saw led to the chaos in the Capitol, the battering and injuring of dozens, scores and scores of police officers, the subsequent suicide of, I think, four or five police officers, and also uh, the death of one following the riot um, pretty soon afterwards, after he was beaten and sprayed with with various whatever cans of, of whatever mm. that, the, that these rioters had. So he didn't go after Trump for sicking the mob on the Capitol. What he went after Trump for was basically what Trump did between roughly, I'm going to say, November the 14th or thereabouts and January the 21st or the 22nd, which was that Trump was determined that by God, by hook or by crook, he was not leaving the White House and he was going to do whatever it took to do to stay there. And that involved him. And this is where the conspiracies are. And they're really laid out clearly. The false electors. So I know this is a thing that people kind of go, oh, Jesus, what's this all about? But very simply, in seven states, um, there were they were swing states and they were the states, at least three or four of those, Trump had to win to win the election and he didn't win them. So he basically decided that all of their legislators were controlled by Republicans and he was going to get those Republicans to send up to Washington full slates of electors, even though Biden had won the state, they would maneuver it so that the, the, the electors who went up and who were certified were the Republican electors who would say, yeah, Trump won the state, Trump won the state. And then Mike Biden, or not Mike Biden, sorry, Mike Pence being Trump's <laughs> complicit dupe up until that very moment, would sign off on them, would go, yeah, yeah, that's great. And if anyone raised any any quibbles, he'd say, okay, we have to send all this back to the states, at which point these, again, pro-Republican, pro-Trump legislators would make sure that it was, it was fixed for Trump, that basically the wrong electors prevailed. Now, I've said this all along. The real, the, the, the other unindicted co-conspirator in all this, for my money, is the Electoral College. Because if you did not have this absurd system, you would have none of this. It would be majority vote, um, majority wins, and Joe Biden had clearly won by seven or eight million votes. So the Electoral College, in my mind, as I say, is the big other elephant in the room. And the fact that none of this could have happened, but for the insistence on hanging on to this total acronism that should have been, you know, gotten rid of 200 years ago. So, but, but, so what Smith does then is he lays out the degree, like all of these plots and subplots, the, the, the attempts to muscle people like, um, Rusty Bowers, who was the head of the, um, the Republican head of the Speaker of the House in Arizona, of the state legislature there. And basically, they really lent on him and said, look, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to, you know, say that 30,000 dead people voted. You got to say 10,000 illegal immigrants voted and that we won and that you're not signing off on, on these. And he said, no, I won't do it. Of course, he, he paid for it with his political career. So there were kind of quiet heroes in this. But I think one of the most sinister things to me, okay, is, and this is uh, mentioned in the indictment, that on January 6th, so basically what Cipollone does is all of his charges against Trump 
and his six co-conspirators who haven't been charged yet, but believe me, their charges are coming down the pipe very, very quickly. So basically, he's saying that they, from the get-go, determined that they would go to all of these, like they were they were basically juggling eight or nine different plots, illegal plots in the air at the same time. There was going out there and lying and pretending that there was fraud and theft when there wasn't. There was slandering people. There was coercing um, secretaries of state and, and state representatives to try and break, make them break the law on Trump's behalf. Um, and then, of course, you had the, the attempt to basically overthrow the, the certification of the vote on January 6th. So he stayed away from the riot, although he does mention that Trump continued to use it you know, to his own ends to try and put pressure on Mike Pence. Uh, but he doesn't, there's no, um, you know, in, indicting a right. There's none of that in there. And I think that's very smart. But as I say, to get back to, to me, what, what is the kind of chilling? And it's almost like a final note. In, and, and to me, it should be a final nail in Trump's political coffin, is that at 7.01 p.m. on the evening of January 6th, uh, you can imagine the scenario the capital is in chaos. There are windows and doors smashed. People have had to go to safe places. And Mike Pence had to be spirited away by, by his Secret Service detail um, amid the chance of hang Mike Pence. The capital is littered with human excrement. It's been vandalized. It's, you know, that people have ransacked Nancy Pelosi's office. And at all of this has happened. And at 7.01 p.m., the FBI and the Capitol Police have pretty well cleared the the, cap, the the houses, the chambers, and said, okay, it's going to be safe for you to go back to work. It's going to be safe for us to continue certifying the vote. And at that point, Pat Cipollone, who is Trump's um, legal counsel in the White House, who is a very conservative, very committed Republican, said to Donald Trump, um, Basically, it was like the moment in McCarthy's when when one of the senators said, in the end, sir, have you no decency or have you no shame? And my, Pat Cipollone turned around to Trump and said, you know, can you stop this now, sir? Can you tell them not to contest the vote? Look at what's happened. Look at the chaos that's been unleashed. And Trump has seen all of this because he's watched it on his TV. And at that point, he could have called up Pence and he could have called up all the other people and said, okay, you know what? Just certify the vote. Just certify the vote. Mm. But instead, he said no. He said, no, we're going to continue to try to obstruct it. And that to me is just like having seen what he unleashed, there's still no remorse. There's still no intent to backpedal. He is going to win at any cost. And the second most sinister thing is uh, one of the co-conspirators is a guy called Jeff Clark. But can I just say one thing there uh, before you continue on Jeff Clark? The, the reason why fatigue came up earlier is that I bet there's people listening to this going, but this is exactly the 800 page report from the January 6th committee. Are we not hearing the same thing just again in another form? Yeah. And you know what? That's a really fair point. But the big difference is with the January 6th committee, Mike Pence, disgracefully for all of his latter-day heroism, mm -hmm. as he acknowledged, disgracefully <laughs> refused to cooperate with the committee, wouldn't speak to them, wouldn't give them any information about January 6th. Uh, now, and Mark Meadows, of course, who was Trump's chief of staff at the time, 
went running for the hills and by all accounts he's still running because nobody has seen him, which I think is very worrying for Donald Trump. Uh, so any number of people defied subpoenas uh, from the January 6th committee, refused to cooperate with the committee and refused to, to um, basically give, tell them what they knew. When there is a criminal, a federal criminal investigation, you don't have that option. You don't, if you don't comply with the subpoena, you're going straight to jail. So basically this time around, we have, it does go over the same ground. And I think that the January 6th committee and the report, and they did do an excellent job. It gave Jack Smith a very detailed roadmap, but he was also able to beef that up with subpoenas. And he was able to speak to the people whose testimony really mattered, as in Mike Pence and as in Mark Meadows and as in a whole bunch of other people who worked for Trump who had no choice but to um, basically tell him what he wanted to know, hand over texts, hand over notes, etc. And it really raises the very fascinating scenario that when this goes to trial, and it will, um, that Mike Pence will very, very likely be called upon to testify against Donald Trump. He will be a wow. witness to the prosecution. So will Pat Cipollone, very, very likely. So will all of these other people, and so... Very likely will Mark Meadows, because it seems to me um, and to, I think, a lot of other people, the reason Mark Meadows is nowhere to be found, he ain't hanging out down in Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump anymore or in Bedminster, and he's nowhere to be seen on Capitol Hill, is that he basically agreed to cooperate with Cipollone, or I beg your pardon, with Jack Smith, in my view, in exchange for some kind of immunity, because he was in the thick of all of this right from the get-go. He knew what was going on, and he was one of Trump's enablers who was helping to make it happen. So I think that this is this is where the difference is, that, that basically yeah. Jack Smith has teeth, big, mm. large, chunky, strong teeth, where the um, January 6th committee, for all of the professionalism and the compelling narrative, it didn't. It didn't have, wow. have the same, you know, it, it doesn't have the same consequence attached. And I think, you know, we were talking, and also we do see that there are these quiet heroes like Cipollone, who for my money had much more courage than Pence, and who was the guy who, you may remember, who, who said to Casey Hutchinson, who again showed enormous courage in testifying before January 6th, who said, don't let Trump go to Capitol Hill. Don't let him do it. We've got to stop this. This is crazy. This is going to end in indictments. And, you know, and yes, he, he was right, it did. But, you know, for every hero, you have people who behave shamefully. And to me, the culprit number one in, in the, the support cast is Jeff Clark. Now, the gang out there might be saying, uh, who's this Jeff Clark guy again? <laughs> Jeff Clark was a mid-ranking Department of Justice official. He was a career lawyer in the Department of Justice who had been there a long time before Trump ever came on the political scene. Uh, Trump decided that he was someone, or he made it known to Trump that he was willing to do Trump's bidding. And the price of doing that bidding was that Trump was going to fire his acting attorney general, obviously Bill Barr had quit, and that he was going to install Jeff Clark. And in exchange for that promotion, Jeff Clark, who had, who's, you know, and, and it is quite funny because I do remember somebody describing this about being in the room at the time. He came in with all the Department of Justice lawyers who were saying to Trump, you can't do this. You can't do this with the fake electors and you can't do this. You can't send out a letter 
um, from the Department of Justice saying that there was fraud in the election and telling all the states, hold your fire. And Jeff Clark came into the room and said, um, basically, uh, yes, he can. And somebody turned around and said, uh, don't you have an oil spill to sort out somewhere? Because he worked in the Department of Environment, in the, in the Department of, of Justice. He had no clue about mm. how any of this would have worked. But he knew enough that he was prepared as acting attorney general, if Trump made him that, that he would send out this letter to all of the the um, attorney generals in the swing states, all of whom were Republicans, um, and say there's been massive fraud in this election. Send no electors to Washington. Basically, hold your fire. And this is a guy who was in the Department of Justice, you know, a career civil servant who was willing to behave in that way. And not only that, Jarlett, um, it there was a heated discussion as um, Smith lays out about how this could all lead to violence. You know, can we, should we even be doing this? Because if we try and say that there was all this fraud and we've no proof, you know, Biden's, there's going to be upset. And Clark turns around, as I said, this sort of mid-ranking Department of Justice environmental official and says, yeah, well, there've been plenty of times in US history when we have to, uh, you know, resort to violence to obtain our ends. So there was a discussion in this room with Trump, Giuliani, this guy Clark and various other people where they didn't just, it wasn't the big elephant in the room, the unspoken. They acknowledged, yeah, this could cause violence, but you know, that's okay because once we get what we want, that's fine. And that to me wow. was so chilling. It was so chilling. That's not, that's not drinking the Kool-Aid, that's injecting it into your veins. Exactly. Uh, and there, there was no way back. And, and as you say, chilling to know that how cool they were with the yeah. idea of violence. That but, they acknowledged it and they were quite happy for it to proceed. And yeah. also they said, um, and I think it was Clark as well, who said, well, that's what the Insurrection Act is for, meaning that if there is violence, Trump could declare martial law, send the troops out onto the street, and basically mm. um, use the military, co-opt the military into his coup. Amazing. So it's how Okay. Oh, and that's why and I, like we we can all remember those words at the time, but now what we're actually seeing is the peeling back of the the wallpaper yeah. as to what really was behind, what went on, and why this came so close, and how everything that you thought you heard as a rumor was actually true. Like some of it really is mind boggling which makes it yeah. even more confusing as to how he has this lead over other candidates. Let's talk yeah. briefly before we go to our break, Marion, because we've so much more to get into in the second half of the show about the polls. Now, I've said to you before, why would anybody listen to polls in America ever again after what they did to Hillary? But these polls are unanimous. Uh, explain yeah. to us what exactly is taking place in terms of this uh, surge of support in the light of all of this information. Right. Well, you know, there are specific polls that have slightly different things, but the, the, the main headline here is that every poll, more or less, that has been taken since Trump's first indictment in New York has showed that with every indictment, with every fresh um, scandal, legal and political scandal that's been unearthed, uh, Trump's approval ratings have gone up and up and up to the point that on two levels here, he is way ahead of his nearest rival, who is Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is dropping in the polls and Trump continues 
to basically be way up above 50% now in terms of the Republican primary. But there's also something else happening. Trump is neck and neck with Joe Biden. In the case of a presidential run, that, in, as is looking increasingly likely, that would feature Joe Biden and Donald Trump, Donald Trump has a 50-50 chance of winning. And that's with the American public knowing everything they know right now. And that, to me, is just staggering, that you would vote for the same man who knowingly tried to basically dismantle American democracy, who tried to basically just lob a hand grenade at the Constitution and at the sanctity of American elections. And yet people don't seem to care. They don't seem to care enough. And even people who, you know, this also goes to people who continue to surround Donald Trump. Jason Miller has been a long-term Trump spokesperson, and he was one of the people who was quoted as saying, you know, when all this was going on, he was distancing himself. And he was saying, you know, and one of his quotes was, look, this is just a load of bullshit that has come from the mother load, the mother load being Trump, about all these conspiracies and fraud and cheating, et cetera, et cetera. And yet... Jason Miller knowingly remains Donald Trump's spokesperson for 2024. So all of these people who know what Trump did, who saw the consequences firsthand, continue to align themselves with Donald Trump. And that, to me, just shows a contempt for democracy. And that also goes to the Republicans in the House and the Senate. You know, Kevin McCarthy coming out and, oh, well, what about Hunter Biden, et cetera, et cetera. All of this calling that this is, um, you know, just political games. This is just political chicanery and treachery to try and take out Donald Trump. And that is, in a way, why I think it's so important to make the distinction between the law and just politics and not to allow them to conflate the two, because there is no conflation here other than Donald Trump's acts as a politician, as a sitting president, or criminal. Mm. And so, you know, and and so I'm at a loss as to explain this. And, you know, everybody keeps thinking, well, there'd have to be a tipping point. There'd have to be a tipping point. But in fact, if you look at the legal calendar uh, here, the only case that may be decided before Trump, um, basically before the primaries are up and running in earnest, um, will be the E. Jean Carroll, the second bite at the cherry there. Uh, She's brought a second defamation action against him. And also there's a legal action being brought by um, Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, um, for fraud within Trump's businesses. That's coming in October. Um, E. Jean Carroll's case is in February. Then you have um, Alvin Bragg's criminal case in March, uh, late March. By then, Super Tuesday is over. And effectively, Americans... Republican voters will have made up their minds, I think, as to who their candidate is going to be. And even if you then have criminal trials in May for the classified documents case, which is unlikely, and in June, July, August or September for January 6th, and then, of course, let's not forget Georgia, this is all going to come after Donald Trump will likely have secured the nomination. So I do not know where this is going to leave us. I don't think any of these um, indictments, shocking as they are, and watertight as they seem to be, are going to make that much difference. And also, I would say, though, um, Jack Smith hasn't shown us everything here. Now, Mm. there's plenty in that 45 pages, but no prosecutor um, gives away the the farm uh, on the first outing. He will have to provide Trump with discovery documents down the line, etc., 
He doesn't have to tell Trump who he's been talking to. He doesn't have to say what other evidence he has. He has laid out a very detailed indictment, but I can guarantee you there's more to come. And I can guarantee you there will be more indictments to come. And we saw even um, with, with the classified documents, he came back with a superseding indictment. So I'd say watch this space, but but um, again, I don't know how to answer your question, Charles. And it's a good question. Why is Donald Trump still leading? Other than to go back to my previous answer, which was a couple of months ago, that he is not a political leader. He's a cult figure. He's a, he's a reality star who is providing reality entertainment. And yeah. uh, this makes him more of a bad boy, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Marion's right. There is more to come. And there is a lot more to come in this episode. Before we go to the break, just to remind you, I am heading out on tour with my brand new show, Your Man. I'll be coming to Birmingham, Brighton, Navan, Killarney, Nace, Limerick, Bristol, back to London for two nights at Leicester Square Theatre, Roscommon, Belfast, uh, Wexford, Kilkenny, Dundalk, Cork, Letterkenny, back to Limerick and the Olympia Theatre, a third night added there. Uh, you can find all the details, all the tickets at jigser.com. That's J-I-G-S-E-R.com. I'd absolutely love to see you at one of the shows, but come on over now to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad to hear the rest of my conversation with Marion as we catch up on what else has been happening in America Ready? this week. You have the cameras rolling. This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy. 